Whenever I am uh, away from, or away for a couple of weeks, at least away from the pulpit, uh, it's a good reminder of just what a privilege it is to open God's Word with you. Um, it is terrifying and exciting and humbling all at the same time uh, as we come under the examination of God's Word together. It is uh, truly a marvelous thing. I'm grateful for every opportunity uh, that we have. And uh, you may recall we, we finished our, our series in the song, the superlative song of Scripture, the song of, of uh, love there in the Old Testament. And we have periodically been stopping at the parables in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to do that some more uh, here through these uh, next couple of months. There are at least ten parables that are unique to Luke's Gospel. Uh, what we're going to look at this morning is not one of those. It's actually, uh, you can find it in Matthew 13 as well. And I think that's a good reminder for us that we have, that, that what the gospel writers include in their gospels is very specific to their message and what it is they uh, want to convey. So how Matthew or Mark would use this information would be in, in a slightly uh, different way. Same event, same instructions, um, but a different purpose. So what a marvelous gift that is from the Lord who gives us these um, unifying yet complementary uh, angles here in the life and, and ministry of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. That wasn't uncommon for him uh, on the Sabbath day as he is making his way towards Jerusalem. But when we read that here in Luke 13, it's going to be the last time that Luke mentions that little detail that Jesus was in the synagogue. Uh, opposition to Jesus continues to grow. And so this Jewish leadership who is rather offended by some of what Jesus is doing, um, they're going to start looking for any way that they can to get rid of Jesus and to silence him. And so we don't read of him being in a synagogue, at least after in, in Luke's message uh, following this. So I'm going to begin at verse 10 of chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed of your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. The birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That is where we will end the reading of God's holy and inspired word this morning. 
you pray with me? Lord God, what indeed what a privilege it is to open your word together, uh, to come under, to submit ourselves to the, the examination and instruction of your word. And Lord, we ask that as you speak now through your word, that we'd be attentive, that we would lay hold of what is true and right and good, what is untrue or unhelpful, block it out of our minds, Lord. We need you to illumine our hearts, to understand and apply this word. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, some time ago, I came across a picture of a meteorite. You say, well, well big deal, you know, what's, what's that? But this, this Fukang meteorite, meteorite was, was found near Fukang, China. And pictures of this meteorite are absolutely stunning because now that it's been broken into pieces and different pieces have been sold around the world, there are, there are these sections of sort of golden translucent uh, crystals, a specific mineral that is a part of this um, meteorite that are absolutely dazzling uh, to see. And it was uncovered by a hiker who would go along the trail and he would set up his, his lunch on this rock, so he thought. And eventually, he had done this enough. He thought, I wonder what kind of stone this is that I'm eating my lunch on. He gets his hammer and chisel out and imagine his surprise as he breaks this rock apart that is this beautiful uh, meteorite. And I can just picture him. Maybe you can picture him you know, running back down the trail. You know, You're not going to believe, look what I found. This rock that I've been sitting on for lunch all these, all these times. You're not going to believe this. And so as we see the people here standing around and watching Jesus, they're thinking, I can't believe this. Maybe they're going home to their families saying, you're not going to believe what it is we've just seen. What it is we've heard from the mouth of this rabbi. You should have seen all the shades of gray that this ruler of the synagogue changed. When Jesus, or shades of red, I guess, if you're embarrassed. Um, Just amazing. You see, the kingdom of God had come and it had, had infiltrated, stepped in to this confusion and to this brokenness. The very king is in their midst. And that is not what they expected. This whole audience surrounding Jesus. They, they're not what they would expect in the arrival of the kingdom of God. They're looking for power. They're looking for majesty. They want to see some some fireworks here and sort of toppling this Roman oppression. And I don't think that's unusual. Typically, that's what you and I are looking for when we consider the kingdom advances. We like fireworks. Well, last weekend was a testament to that, right? We like things that are explosive, dramatic. We like to hear about dramatic conversions in people's lives. You know, sort of this immediate change worked by the Holy Spirit. The Lord toppling the strongholds of Satan, which we know He's doing right now, continues to do. But, but more often, the most significant work, that real heart work by the Holy Spirit, that's not visible. Uh, it's not this explosive, dramatic thing. Change doesn't come overnight. Uh, maybe you've seen that in your own life and you in your own walk with the Lord, you know, it appears 
so small that sometimes you, know, you feel like you're taking one step forward and two steps back. We want to see the fruit of our efforts. We want to see the fruit of, of our prayers, serving. Um, and yet so often, little seems to change. Um, a lot that's under the, the radar. So what is Jesus doing here and telling us about the kingdom of God? What do we need to hear about this kingdom right now, July you know, 2021, that enables us to live as subjects of the king? Um, I think what we see here is both kingdom practiced and pictured. Kingdom practiced, kingdom picture. Um, we read two short parables these you know, analogies that Jesus gives here, which we can't detach from the verses that come before. Uh, when we read the therefore in verse 18, uh, we should be asking, what is therefore there for? It's there because of what comes uh, before it. A uh, good reminder that even what we have here in the, the, the breaks in these paragraphs and the bolded headings in our English uh, Bibles are not part of the original inspired text. They're there to help us. Um, but Jesus is in the synagogue. It was his custom in that place to worship on the Sabbath day. The synagogue is central to the Jewish way of life. Still is that way for adherents of, of Judaism. Central gathering place, a place for prayer, a place where the scrolls, uh, the scriptures were uh, read, and then an elder or uh, someone qualified would, would expound on uh, what had just been read in the synagogue. We see this is what Jesus is doing, but then he does something else, something that is not according to Jewish custom in the synagogue. I think when Jesus was out in the countryside, at least when I'm, I'm picturing him as he's uh, making his way uh, towards Jerusalem, we get this impression that there's a pretty decent-sized crowd sort of around him, sort of wanting to get closer to Jesus, squeezing against each other so that they could see and get closer. Um, but on, on this occasion, in the synagogue, no one is pressing against Jesus. No one is actually begging to be healed. That's a little different. Um, Jesus is the one who takes the initiative, he, he identifies this woman, he sees her, calls her out, and places his hand upon her to heal her. Did you notice she didn't ask for this? It, it doesn't say that she expected this to happen in the synagogue on that day. So it's Jesus who, who calls and restores. We don't know the, the nature of her uh, illness exactly. Uh, likely a physical ailment that kept her bent over. It had me uh, thinking about uh, Katie's uh, grandpa, Bor. She was fairly young when the Lord um, called him to glory. But Grandpa Bors had this uh, ankylosing spondylitis. Um, hard to say. Maybe you've uh, heard of that particular disease. But the vertebrae begin to fuse together. And they do that slowly, and the spine sort of uh, it becomes less and less flexible, leaving that person really hunched over. Um, makes it difficult to move, difficult to make eye contact, to communicate. Um, now that's found more often in men than it is in women, but it's possible that this woman has something like that disease, like angliosing spondylitis. 
Maybe we can ask Luke the doctor sometime um, and what, what this disease was. But Jesus sees her, chooses her, touches her, and she's made well. She's able to stand up straight. First time in almost two decades where she's been able to, to raise her hands, give praise to God in the synagogue. Now in Luke 4, another example of Jesus in the synagogue, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, and then he sits down and gives this great sermon from the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, I want to read this. Maybe you can remember what Jesus said. Going back to Luke chapter 4. This is 18 through 21. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How's that for a sermon? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Some of you are thinking, yeah, Brad, you need to take notes on the length of Jesus' sermons. Um, so the one reading, is, one reading that text is the fulfillment of the text. Good news, liberty, recovery, freedom is found in the one who had just rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant. I think of this. This, this is amazing. The Lord's favor now has just been extended to this woman in Luke chapter 13 and everyone else who is witnessing this. The kingdom of God present in King Jesus himself brings freedom, brings healing. So she's restored physically, but that's not all. She would be restored socially, religiously. I mean, this disease would have, have separated her, made her unclean. And so the kingdom of God comes to, to restore, bring wholeness to every part of life, not just, not just little pieces. And so she experiences um, this healing and restoration. So everyone saw this, including the ruler of the synagogue. Um, so he's the guy who's going to make sure everything is proper and in order in this church. Um, and we see the opposite actually happening with him. He doesn't straighten up and give praise to God for this miraculous healing. We see him actually, I guess you can make the analogy, he's the one curling over, as it were, at what has just happened. Um, he's looking now at Jesus with a furrowed brow, squinted eyes, pointing out that the Sabbath day is not the day for this type of activity. Kingdom work was not the work of the Sabbath. Um, and he makes this accusation, really makes this indictment against the woman or theirs. You know, come back and get healed some other day. Um, and then he turns it more against Jesus in verse uh, 14. Uh, this isn't how it works, Jesus. There are rules here. Um, so you can see that blindness, blindness to their own foolishness, his own hypocrisy, and Jesus, is the, Jesus just calls him out on this. He calls out all those in the room who may get all dressed up for church and are thinking the same thing. 
You have no problem condemning this healing work on the Sabbath when you do far lesser things for yourself. You care more for your donkey, perhaps, trying to keep the rules that have no power to save than you do for this woman who has just been restored. So the Sabbath rest, the very intention behind the laws of Sabbath keeping, they're there to acknowledge the holiness and worth and work of Israel's king. That's why they exist. He worked on their behalf. Israel's king delivered them. He can be trusted to care for them. They can rest under the shadow of his wings. And now the fulfillment, the completion of Sabbath rest is in their midst. And they are working to reject it. Words of Jesus in Luke 6 come to mind. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus has just demonstrated his authority and his lordship and it left his opposition here uh, in absolute shame. Uh, So church family, we, we need to hear, are we hearing this firm warning from Jesus? Does our religiosity maybe get in the way of the kingdom work? Is it an obstacle to the work of the king. You see a little different. Is, is our Christianity in danger of actually sidelining Christ and the reconciliation that he brings? Hey, that's not the way we do things around here. So a lot of place for this church. Frankly, we're not all that comfortable with this, so you can take that somewhere else. Um, we're not ready for that idea. Maybe not really open to the the mess and the messiness that that person or those people might bring. That's a window into how we how we view our own stories, really, how we view our own need, our own sinfulness, our own messiness. If we want to use that language. If the King can bring healing and freedom to my life, if He can do that in your life then there is not a life out there that cannot be touched and changed the hands of the king. So do you believe that? Do you believe that any person who comes into this church, anyone who would join us in worship, anyone you see walking down the street or in your community, God's desire is to bring healing and reconciliation in our lives like He does here for this woman can do in the lives of those that we know. Um, that's his desire. That is, that is kingdom practice. The kingdom of God is, is made known. It grows as we, as we repent, as we pursue reconciliation with each other, maybe with those that we've just, you know, are used to avoiding, not really uh, giving much thought. Um, maybe it's those of a different race or cultural background what does it look like to serve and live as one body of christ from every tribe tongue and nation i think as a western church i'm thinking big church here big catholic church uh, we don't do a very good job of that Uh, we are highly segregated and exclusive when it comes to our worship and our fellowship now some reasons for that are obvious 
But are we willing to have those discussions to participate in this restoring work of the kingdom across all these lines? Something else I need to mention here before we, we move to the pictures of this kingdom. You know, we live in a time, I've said this before, where there's so much information. We're just being bombarded by it. You know, you want to know something, you just look it up on YouTube or Google it, and, and, uh, and there it is. So, so we're so independent, or at least we, we try to be, we only ask for help if we think we really need it. We're self-help experts, right? And that has a way of trickling into every part of our lives to include our spiritual lives. We are self-help experts spiritually. Um, and even though we're not going to pray this out loud most of the time, our posture is, well, maybe, Lord, Lord, I see these things in my life. Maybe they're not quite the way that I would like or the way they're supposed to be. It's my marriage, my family, my kids, but I'm on it. You know, I know where to go to get that, you know, self-help, that whatever, 12-step program. I'll call you if I need you. My friends, I wonder if that's why some of us, even sitting here this morning, hearing my voice, maybe have never really met Jesus. you think your mess really isn't that bad, then that God doesn't have to work too hard to clean you up. Because you have everything under control. So Christianity, even this church thing from week to week, that seems to fit your self-help program. Maybe it's what you know, what you've always known growing up. We need to hear that Jesus comes to those who are helpless. To those who see their their need. They know that only He can help. Only He can can free them from the the chains of of sin. Even with all the self-helps that we can find. Isn't it amazing how much money and time and resources we will spend on the self-helps, on the counseling or the diagnosis of something? Just for someone to really listen to us. Something to help. Here's that picture again. To straighten us up. We'll spend a lot of resources doing that. And yet there is one who knows you completely. He's always near. He's always listening. And at His touch, only at His touch, are we healed? Are we straightened out? Whatever life circumstances may be. Now, the work of the kingdom, it, it certainly goes forth through others, through the counsel and care of other people. You see this all the time. But only the healing power of Christ can free the captive, bring healing to body and spirit for eternity. So are you a follower of the king? He's extending that kingdom command to repent and submit to His rule in every part of your life. Not your self-helps, His help. Because He touches the helpless. So after observing this kingdom uh, practice, Jesus gives a picture here. Actually, it's two pictures of the same underlying message. The kingdom of God is compared to a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds used by uh, farmers in Palestine. So from this tiny seed grows that mustard tree, large enough for birds to make their nests on its branches. 
Uh, or, or a relatively small amount of leaven worked through almost a half bushel of flour. So what Jesus seems to be doing here is, is contrasting how the kingdom begins and how it ends. We can make some conjectures about you know, the process in between. But the main point is that what starts out small and unnoticed, appears insignificant, will grow very large and noticeable and fruitful. God is growing His kingdom. And so the people in the synagogue, they've just witnessed this. The restoration of one person in one specific place is the kingdom going forth. This is the kingdom being uh, reckoned with, even at its beginnings, may seem very small and unnoticed. The south edge of the property that my parents live, a place where I, I grew up, I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade, and I planted one of these little pine saplings, you know, the ones they give you saying, save the planet, plant a tree. I never thought the thing would survive. So I planted it by the little, we call it a creek, it's more of a drainage ditch in the back of the property, and I, I planted it there, and as I grew, this little sapling grew. Isn't it interesting how when you're growing along with something else, it doesn't seem like there's any change? But now I go back to that property, and this tree, I mean, 20, 30 feet and its trunk is a foot in diameter. The kingdom of God grows large and healthy even though it starts small and unnoticed. Think of Jesus. There's no fireworks, no big parade as the king of this kingdom comes in the flesh and makes his dwelling among us. The coming of Jesus was obscure. I mean, John tells us that he came to his very own people and they did not receive him. But then the light breaks into the darkness. The, the king brings about this great rescue mission. He brings it to its climax. What starts so small and obscure ends with great power and glory. And so the kingdom of Jesus that is present at this very moment is going to become increasingly more so, more present as more submit their lives to Christ. And it's a kingdom that will be unmistakable when our King, the Lord Jesus, returns in glory. So family, we need to keep our eyes wide open to the work of the King and the spread of His kingdom. That was even mentioned in Sunday school this morning. Keeping our eyes open to what God is doing, how He's working. Because this kingdom is growing in ways beyond our ability to grasp. We're oftentimes not going to see this. The mercy, the mercy of God is, is changing and capturing the hearts of men. I was thinking of the English pastor, William Carey, often considered the founder of modern uh, missions. He really sparked this movement uh, in the mid-19th century. Uh, he left England. He spent 41 years in India. We heard about William Carey when we watched that Frontline uh, video in Sunday school a little while back. But he translates the Bible into six different languages portions of the Bible into, uh, what is it, 29 other languages. Uh, he did it with about the equivalent of a high school education. Never returned back to England, and it's said that after being in India for nine years, he saw one convert to Christianity. Uh, that is patience. That is perseverance and a wholehearted belief that God grows His kingdom in His way and in His timing. Um, 
And now you look about 100, 180 years later, they say there's about 24 million who profess Christ in that sort of Hindu stronghold in the world. Um, over 2 billion people claim Christ around the world. The church is just about every, every nation, maybe every nation. Um, now the beliefs are very widespread, but the kingdom continues to grow. The world over. That's something that can't be ignored. And when we're speaking through the prophet Isaiah, here's what the Lord says. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things yet to come. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Church family, what no one seems to notice at the beginning, everyone will see at the end. Everyone. I think it's important here, just a moment, to distinguish between the church and the kingdom of God. Uh, certainly a clear overlap, um, but, but the church and the actual kingdom of God are not uh, one and the same. Uh, the kingdom of God is seen, or should be seen, in the life of the church. One instructor uh, from my past, he said the church is, is the king's outposts in his creation. I think that's a great picture. Uh, the church, the world over, the church in this place is that, that outpost, that base of operations for the kingdom. Um, so that should get us thinking a little bit about you know, this place. Is Trinity Fellowship, uh, what are we like as an outpost of the kingdom? What kind of outpost are we? How do we engage with the community uh, in which we are based as an outpost. And there are a few different ways we can think through this. Uh, one is to hold up like a fortress. Right? And there are many outposts in the kingdom like this. Um, you say, you know, that the culture is a threat. Everything out there is a threat. It's a destructive force against the church, so we need to wall up at all costs. Um, but then we need to consider the heart of God that there is righteous judgment against sin that must be opposed to sin, but the heart of God moves toward the world in love, not away from it, in disgust. So God's judgment is not against the world at large. His judgment is against the sin that has twisted and deformed this world. So that's, that's one posture. Another uh, posture is accommodation, which is almost the the opposite side of the fortress. So this is the outpost that collaborates with the culture wherever possible, all for the greater good. So then you have you know, social justice and renewal being the highest interest uh, to the accommodating church. It's almost indistinguishable then from um, the culture around it. Same ideas, same methods. But that also is an incomplete picture. It's important to, to meet and, and converse and relate with our neighbors, but we also have to have a prophetic voice. We're called to bear witness to our neighbors, and however that may be, a school, organization, work, um, calling them to what, what they ought to be in God's created order. Um, so we participate yet call the culture beyond itself into the
the life of the king and his kingdom. So my prayer for us, for each one of us, for this church and this place, is that we would be this sort of incarnational outpost. That we'd go into the culture bearing the gospel, following Jesus into every sphere of creation with the purpose of showing and sharing the love of, that Christ has for us. Um, James Hunter, professor, he says, or he refers to the church as a faithful presence. I think that's good. And the grace of God, by the working of the Holy Spirit, Trinity Fellowship, must be a faithful presence uh, in this community. So as we seek to be a faithful presence in our families, workplaces, schools, um, I want to encourage you not to lose heart because there is so much today that could cause us to lose heart. But remember, things that appear so very inconsequential today, God is at work. He continues His work. He's using unlikely people. He's using unlikely places and events to grow His kingdom. You can hear the words of Nathaniel in John chapter 1, sort of in the background to this kingdom picture. And kingdom practice. Remember what Nathaniel said in John chapter 1? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Seriously. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of North Little Rock? Or how about can anything good come out of Gravel Ridge? Are you kidding me? This is Gravel Ridge. Um, God is at work. He is touching lives. And He can be trusted for this. He doesn't give up on you. He hasn't given up on me. He's more than capable of growing His kingdom. And the very life and death of Jesus is the assurance of this. The assurance that God can be trusted. The assurance that we can wait patiently for Him to do what only He can do. His purpose will prevail. His kingdom will come in full. Amen? Amen. 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 So Jesus comes in here. I'll go back to that picture of a meteorite. Jesus sort of you know, like a meteorite to the expectations of these people. Um, hard to believe what it is he's saying. Hard to believe what it is he's doing. Doesn't seem to follow what it is, you know, they've always heard. Maybe that's true for some of us this morning. But as they get closer to Jesus, as they hear him, maybe dig in a little, a little deeper, you know, kind of like that man did, chiseling away at that, that rock. They're overwhelmed at just how beautiful that meteorite is. The kingdom of light and hope and healing has come in Jesus. So restoration at a specific time, in a specific place, it's just a picture of what is in store as the kingdom of God uh, goes forth. So I'll ask you again, are you a child of this king? Are you participating, a participant in this kingdom work? The king has come and is, he's coming again to, to bring this restoration in full. That's something that, you know, we, we're not there yet. There still is work to be done. A response of love and allegiance to King Jesus. So let's be a faithful outpost. Faithful outpost of the kingdom in this place, in our homes, schools, work, our recreation. And I hope that it's the prayer, the prayer that we have already prayed, but that is what is on our lips 
as a faithful presence. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for feeding us through this, your word, for showing us the beauty of Christ, who is your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly, that you would bring your restoration and healing work in full to a a creation that groans under the weight of rebellion and sin against you. Lord, it's true in our own hearts, hearts of those we know and love. We see so much that is wrong and twisted and broken. Lord, you didn't come just to just to patch up and repair what is broken. You conquered sin and the grave. You put death to death that we might have life now and forever. Lord, usher in forever, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.